You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. When I was in elementary school, um, I promised my science teacher, because we were going to do the dissection stuff with like animals of some sort, I promised my school teacher, I can bring us the animals for the dissection. I don't know... I don't actually remember doing this, but I, it does sound like something I would have done as a kid. Um, and so I promised my teacher in this little, uh, you know, Haskell, Texas, if you ever know where Haskell is, it's near Abilene, like an hour outside of Abilene. Middle of nowhere, this family ranch that we lived on and this little tiny elementary school, Sean promised his science teacher uh, multiple fish to be dissected at school. It was a great idea. It was so loving of me, right, to offer this. The problem was, um, that it wasn't until the night before that I remembered this promise that I'd made to the science teacher. Um, this was before like email and all that kind of business, if you can imagine that. Um, and when I told my mom the night before that I was supposed to bring like eight to 10 fish to school that morning, um, she was rightly frustrated. It was shocking, of course. Um, but she had the most loving response. She got up that early, uh, early the next morning at like five or four or something in the morning. She went to our pond because we lived in this, it was a, it's Texas, right? You can imagine this. I'm saying this story, I'm like, this doesn't sound like a story that comes from Sean, but this really happened. We lived on a ranch and my mom went to this pond on our property and she started fishing before it was light outside. And she brought these fish to my class that morning. And that story, um, we still kick it around because my mom and I, we laugh about it. But it was just one of those moments where, um, where there was such a great love, even in the inconvenience. My mom loves me. She would do that for me. She would get up early, go fishing in Haskell, Texas, so that my promise to my science teacher to dissect them that day would be fulfilled. You can always tell great love by its active actions, right? By what it does. We could talk about love, but it's different than seeing the fruit of love. You can always tell love by its acts. In fact, we only really know of love, not from like a great Beatles song or like a good book or a blog or something. We know of love because we've experienced it personally, right? We have stories like this with like my mom. You have stories like that. That's how you know of love. That's just actually the way it works. Love cannot help but make itself into our lives, expressed in our lives, even in our words, but also in our deeds. It has to be demonstrated. It doesn't mean much when people say, I love you, I love you, I love you, without the deeds, right? Prove it, show me, demonstrate that love. But what exactly is love? What, I mean, what is it though? How do we come about this thing, love, and, and, and prove it and understand it? Can we do that scientifically, not really philosophically, maybe get a little closer? How, what is love, and how do we come to know what it is? Well, our culture, we have quips, right? Uh, love is love. You can't define the word with the word. That's not helpful. Maybe that's true, but it's not helpful. Love wins. Still not helping. Love is all you need. We get it. But what is love? None of these things actually clear this up for us. Where does love come from? What is it for? What is love for? Without, without asking these questions, uh, love for us becomes like this fleeting emotion, this, this thing that warms us, that we say, oh, that's love, it just feels good. 
becomes this really self-serving thing, actually. This experience that we pursue to have that warm, fuzzy feeling, right? Becomes a self-serving thing. But we know that love is not self-serving. So what is it? For example, we all agree that in this world, more love is a good thing, right? We, if I said, hey, doesn't the world need some more love? I would be like, yes, right, Rez? You would say this, right? You would. More love is a good thing. But when we are told, when I say, great, now go and love your enemies, ooh. Well, I mean, more love in general, but not, I, not like that, right? Do we really want to love those people? We all agree more love is a good thing, but do we really want to love those people who are jerks to us, who have hurt us, the people we're opposed to so many times, the people we disagree with, those people who drive us absolutely nuts? Is love really what that needs more of? Can we do that? Do we want to love them? In those particular instances, we run out of love really quick, right? We run out of love that we have available to give almost instantly. In real life, if we're really honest, I know we have these great readings about love and it's beautiful. Someone should embroider that and put it on a wall somewhere, right? But in real life, do we really want to love people? Like real people, do we want to love them? It can be so difficult. If you've ever tried to love someone, it can be so difficult, so challenging at times. And yet, love is the greatest of Christian virtues. Love is actually at the burning center of what it means to follow Jesus. You can have, you can like have all the Christian merit badges of all the gifts, and if you don't have love, it's nothing. What Paul says. We can do all of the right things. Listen, we can do all of the right things, make all the right moves, do good by everyone, and without love, it can still be wrong. More than just useless or nothing, we can do all the right things, but if we do it without love, it can actually be wrong. For instance, you can be absolutely right, Christians, when we say something about a perspective that we have, that we state that is like theologically true, but we say it in such a way that is without love, it can be wrong. Without love, it's all nothing. It's all useless. It has to be filled with love. So if love for Christians, for us, is central, this is like what it means to be a Christian is to know the love of God. And we don't have enough love to give to people that irritate us, which we've already covered that, right? And we're not convinced we know what, what it's even for. How are we actually supposed to do this thing, love, that we all agree we should do more of? We have all these questions. How can we love? These are serious questions, right? This morning, I'm not going to be able to make any, any of you like love people more. I may not move the needle very much for any of you. Um, but what I would like to do in just thinking about love, I want to ask us some questions for consideration. Just give us maybe a fresh take on this thing that we think we're all so super familiar with. Where does love come from? I want to ask. I want to explore this together. What does love do? And what is love for? I know this is an ambitious sermon, but we're going to go for it. Where does love come from? Let's start with that. Love comes from God. Any sharing in love is a sharing in a characteristic of God, the divine life. 
1 John 4, 7 and 8, we covered this in our catechism this morning, says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Let me break this open a little bit. The essence of love, if you really want to know what it is, like the essence of love is hidden within the interior life of God. It is him. This is where love originates. It's where it comes from. It's where it flows abundantly. Like bottomless fries or Red Robin. You know what I'm saying? The, like they don't Love, this is a terrible analogy. Love flows abundantly from God. There's no end to it. You can order more and it's there. And it keeps coming. It's a great analogy. Love, all love taps into who God is. This is where romantics get their inspiration. Where self-sacrificing love is born. It is born of God. And many people may not even know that when they participate in an act of love, they're participating in who God is. They're participating in him. Even if they don't believe in him, if they share in love, they're sharing in the divine life in some small way. We've seen in our own lives what it looks like when Love is not anchored in God, but in us, I'm sure. We begin to define love on our own terms in ways that really satisfy us or serve us well. Only when we recognize where love comes from, from God, can we stand a chance to see what it truly is, to see love for itself and also how it works and who it's for. Our love, friends, has to be anchored in the person of God. And if you want to see what love is really all about, you have to go to God. And this is what the second part is about. Our reading from 1 Corinthians um, takes us to this second consideration. What, what does love do? What does it look like? How does love work? Paul walks us through some of this. You have this wonderful list of things. We've all heard this read at weddings, right? It's beautiful. Verse 4 says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant. Or rude. Love is not rude, Sean. That's good. I should look at that. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. You could walk through this yourself and think, I love this person. Does this describe my love for this person? Is this how it works, how it functions in my life? This is a really good way, like kind of with our confession. If I just say, go confess your sins, you're like, okay, well... I'll do the best I can. But when we all kneel and go through the confession together, we may be triggered to think of things that maybe we weren't thinking at the time, right? These lists, these ways of thinking. In the same way, this list gives us some aspects to look at love from several angles and ask, is this truly love that I have? That I'm, I ha- is this how it works in my life? Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. You got what you deserved. Love doesn't do that but it rejoices in the truth. Verse seven, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, apart from love being anchored in the person of God, this would just be like really cute sayings. This would be like advice. Be more like this, people try harder. 
It would be another song in a list of top 40 hits about love that makes us all feel good and encourage us to just dig a little deeper, do it a little better, love your neighbor, love each other. And that would be almost utterly useless because we've had all that. And if you look at human history, we still have a mess, right? People do not love each other. We're not doing this very well. So if just another song about love or just another like embroidered thing on the wall about this First Corinthians passage, or we just need one more wedding where we can hear this scripture read to us, then the world will get back on track. It hasn't yet, right? If we're to read this and understand what Paul's getting at, we have to understand that this love description is not just spiritual advice. It's not a laundry list of things for you to go do for homework, but it's for you to understand where love comes from. This is a description of Jesus himself. This is a description of who God is. This is God. He is all these things. And when our lives are anchored in his, our lives take on these attributes. We share in this kind of love. It's a really... It's pretty straightforward. There's no one more patient to you and kind to you than God, actually. He isn't resentful. Maybe that's news to you. God does not resent you. He doesn't insist that you do it his way, but he gives you the dignity of your own space and time and decisions. God isn't irritable or resentful. He doesn't celebrate evil, but only the truth. You can begin to see him as you read 1 Corinthians again, seeing that this is the person of Jesus who endures and hopes and never fails us. This is Jesus. And he demonstrates this love. He doesn't just write us a sweet letter about it. He demonstrates this love for us that even when we are far off and lost and captive to sin, he still died for us. He still demonstrated a love for us. Even when we didn't understand There is love crystal clear in the person of Jesus. If you look at him, you want to know what love is, you just look at him. Look at his life. Read his stories about what he was doing. And if you want to know how love works, what it looks like, what it does, become an apprentice of Jesus. Because this is what he teaches us. You cannot be uh, uh, terrible at love and be following Jesus your whole life. You actually have to get better at it because this is what he teaches us. Or maybe you're following somebody else. If you're not increasing in love, you might want to just take a step back and be like, okay, who am I actually following here? Is this Jesus? Because if you're following Jesus, he is the master craftsman of love, and he will show you the way. He will teach you. And it is something we need to be taught, friends. It's like hearing music in a foreign country. If you've ever lived in a different country, and they turn on the radio, and you're like, what is this? You have to learn to enjoy foreign music. There's a thing that they have that they're looking for, that, that they appreciate. And so you have to kind of acquire that new ear. Or like if you're learning a new language, you have to practice and make a lot of mistakes, but you have to keep saying those words. Or maybe it's a skill in a sport. You have to keep doing the same repetitive action over and over again until it becomes this muscle memory. So it is the same way when we follow Jesus, we observe him and we do likewise. We mimic him. We do the things that he does, even if sometimes we don't really want to do it because we want to make in muscle memory this act of love, this demonstration of love deep in our bones. We want it to become a part of us. Those who are in regular and close proximity to Jesus are the ones who mature in the practice of love. 
It actually does take practice. And by God's gracious help, he can actually transform us into a loving people. Rez, can you imagine if our church in this neighborhood was known as a loving people? Oh, those people? You're part of that church? They come here and order coffee all the time. Oh, they're here all the time for dinner. They order flowers from us. They, oh, those, you're res, those are some of the most loving people we've ever met. This won't just happen to us. We have to engage in apprenticeship with Jesus and learn this. One way you learn this is by being around people that are difficult to love or just honestly people in general and asking the Lord to be with you. So table groups for some of us may be like, oh, that's super hard. Well, guess what? In table groups, we're learning to love each other. It's a great way to do that. Be in community regular with other Christians and practice loving each other the way Christ has loved us. The liturgy for us is a way in which we can get caught up in the story of God's love. If, if, if you really want to know or be recalibrated to what love is, just participate in the liturgy and open your eyes. We go through all the postures of love, the language, the imagination of it all. The story of God's love for us, what he has done to redeem us and to bring us into his life out of love. It becomes muscle memory for us. If you are getting familiar with the liturgy, it's a muscle memory of love, a story of love. Pay attention to that. Maybe even ask yourself during the liturgy, what does this moment in the liturgy say about God's love for me? Wow, this is a great mystery, God. This is a strange thing. Why are they doing this? What does that say about God? What does that say about his love for me? And if you're not sure, come and ask us, please. We, I would love to tell you what, about, what these things mean about who God is and how he, how he loves us. So love comes from God. How does love work? Jesus shows us how love works. Uh, this is the last question. What is love for? I think this is a really, maybe you've never answered this, asked this question before. Dallas Willard wants to ask business students at USC, what is business for? And you know what the business students said? Business is for profits. And Dallas said, so is this what you tell your clients? And they said, oh, no, we don't say that. He said, well, what do you tell your clients? Oh, we care about you. We want you to succeed. And Dallas concludes, right, because business is for loving others. It's the same way with any other profession, politics, arts, parenting, study, social work, you name it. God is in all of those things. If, if God wasn't in those things, they wouldn't be. But if you can pay attention and see God's love is actually operating in those sectors, those, those professions, those spaces in life, God's love for others is actually working itself out and being expressed if we have eyes to see it. And when those things, when business, for example, is put to good use, according to the use that God has for it, you know what it does? It loves others. It doesn't exploit or oppress or just look at the bottom line, but it actually seeks the good of others and loves others. See, if we look to understand where love comes from, how it works, and who it's for, we see God's loving expression everywhere. We see him. And when we see this, his plan to establish his reign of love throughout the world, even in our ordinary lives, you know what we call that? It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, you may have heard that phrase here and there, is that space, that place and time 
that realm in which the perfect love of God is being expressed and worked out and done and accomplished and lived by God's people. That is the kingdom of God. And the uncanny thing about this kingdom is that it always includes people that we would not include. People we're not comfortable with. For the Jews, hearing Jesus in our gospel reading say that he had not only come set to set the captives free and to heal the blind and forgive the sins, all great things, but then to say that the Gentiles are also included in this promise of God, this is why they wanted to throw him off a cliff. They were filled with rage. They can't be included in this kind of love, this reign of God's love. Not those people. Are you kidding me? The love God shows for those who do not deserve it, it scandalizes us, doesn't it? It scandalizes the people who think they deserve God's love more than others. You can't possibly love them the way you love me, God. Perhaps, maybe this morning, the love of God um, that he has for you, maybe that scandalizes you. Maybe it's really uncomfortable for you to think that God loves you. Maybe you think you're beyond God's love, or maybe you think love is just some ideal that can't really be had in your life, but you still recognize that you need it. We all know that we need it. Even if like sitting in here listening to another sermon and seeing all these Christians do their thing, we like, yeah, they're all about love, but do they really do it? This is just all some big ideal. Okay, fair point, let's just give it to you, but still we need it. We all desperately need it. Whether you're a church person or not, no matter where you're coming from, we all need love, and we know that we have that hunger. Because we were all created by God out of love to receive his love. And God sent his son to bring us home to that love, out of love. Everything about what God has done for us has been expressed out of love. Even now when we come to the altar, we are fed by the love of God, the food of God's love in the flesh and the blood of Jesus who sustains us by Holy Eucharist, by his divine love. That even though we go into the world told we're supposed to love our neighbors, we may go, you know what? Love doesn't come from me because I don't have a lot of it to give. Fair enough, you're going to be fed with the food of love and charged with God's love and then sent into the world with God's love, with his presence to extend it to even those who we think they're the beyond God's love. God has sent us to those people. Church, Love is our legacy. It's what we're known for. It's what we should be known for. God's love shines upon us this morning. It's going to be deposited in and us even when we come to the table. It's going to be given through us throughout the rest of the week. This is the single most significant vocation you will ever participate in your whole life. Receiving the love of God and extending that to others. Can I ask you one question, then I just want to sit down and give us a moment to be quiet. What needs to be reorganized in our lives, our priorities, maybe our time, our money, our deeds, to more fully cooperate with God's love? Who is it that God has put in our lives to give us an opportunity to practice that great love? Lord, speak to your people. You're listening. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.